Hello and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. The purpose of this podcast is to create a safe place to heal, transformation, and evolve. Your host, Michelle Manning, is the creator of the Quantum Soul Clearing Process. Each week, we'll be bringing you new and innovative ways to heal and transform every area of your life, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, and financially, so you are free to bring your gifts and talents into the world to become the best version of who you are designed to be and help revolutionize the world. This show will inspire you, lift you, connect you, and give you access to the most cutting-edge healing resources available anywhere on the planet. This is the Epic Healing Transformations Podcast. Hello and welcome to Epic Healing Transformations. I am your host, Michelle Manning, and today I have with me a dear friend, colleague, and she used to be one of my students, and she has really stepped into that role of mastery herself. My friend Cindy Levy is here. She's a licensed mental health counselor. She's a clinical hypnotherapist, a board-certified psychodramatist, and she is such a gifted healer in her own right. Cindy really has this person-centered approach as a therapist and a coach. And she believes that everyone has this innate and irrepressible drive towards wholeness, which I believe too. And when she works with somebody, she helps them clear what's in the way so that your life can unfold as it's really meant to. She believes that healing is often remembering what is right about you so that you can go about expressing that. And she believes that as we awaken to our strengths and resiliency, we have a renewed sense of joy and purpose. So welcome, Cindy, to the show today. We're going to have so much fun. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And it's an honor to be on this interview with you. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the focuses that I know that you have in your business is the focus on bullying. And it is so prevalent right now. It's just, oh my gosh. I mean, from, <laughs> from the top down, we're seeing it everywhere. Can you tell me your story? Can you tell all of us your story? Because I know you've got a huge story around bullying. Yeah, the reason I'm drawn to this, and of course, doesn't life prepare you for your life's work? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, in the form of, you know, certain experiences. And it seemed like a lot of people that are bullied, I wanted to push it to the side and step away from it. But I can't because as I started to pursue other things, it just seemed empty and hollow. Right. I kept coming back to this because I know there's a real need for people that are bullied to tell their story. I know for myself, it took years to even get the words out of my mouth that I was the one that the kids chose to pick on because of all the layers of shame and all the messages of, well, what's wrong with you? You're the one. And it took a lot of waking up to what was really happening and saying, no, this is a form of social violence. Ooh, yeah. And it's not okay. And it was also realizing that bullying is way too common. And there's just a need to recognize that. Yeah, there really is. And I know that in my own life, you know, I, I was profoundly bullied for years. Go back to, you said something so profound. It's a form of social violence. And I want to also talk about what happens when you're bullied, because, you know, those of us who have been bullied understand the shame associated with it. But why, it, why do we feel the shame? We're not the, I mean, are we taking on the person's shame that is bullying us? What is that? Well, basically, you're being treated like their dumping ground. Poop rolls down here and you're at the bottom. And it really is about status and power. People bully with the intent to demean the other person. And it's solely for their personal gain. And so there is such a feeling of powerlessness and helplessness that goes with that. Then on top of that, it is socially humiliating because it happens in public. Right. And then on top of that, there's the fact that you are alone. People are witnessing, but nobody's there. People that I thought I might be friends with go along with the bully and turn their back on me. So there was that hurt too. Well, and you know, it's interesting. Speaking of nobody showing up, I was at an event about a month and a half ago and having dinner in the bar at the hotel with a group of people. And all of a sudden, this gentleman that I was sitting with jumps out of the chair. He says, excuse me. He jumps all. <laughs> 
almost jumps over me and he's heading out. And I'm like, what is going on? He said, that man, that guy just kicked his girlfriend in public. Not one person in that entire bar, except for this gentleman stood up for her. Not one. Right. I mean, that's a form of domestic violence, but it's still abuse and it's still bullying. And it was done in public. There it is. It happens. And a lot of the reason the bullies have their power is because people around them do nothing. It's the bystanders that have the power to stand up and do something. And a lot of bullying prevention education done in schools is to create a climate of support and friendship and a no bully zone. Mm-hmm. So that if someone just tried to bully, the other people are going to hold them to task. That's really profound because that didn't exist when you and I were growing up. It was everybody for themselves. Exactly. So what are the implications of carrying all that shame and all of that trauma? Because, I mean, it doesn't just show up in childhood and then, you know, we see a counselor and it, it just kind of goes away. It has lasting implications. Oh, it does. Well, think about what's going on now, especially with cyberbullying. Although these messages were done before. Why? Why would somebody pass a message on to someone else saying something like, you're worthless, you should kill yourself now? Right. And don't you think that's in some ways more insidious because it's a nameless, faceless, sometimes it's nameless and faceless. To me, that is such a coward thing to do to another person because you don't even have the guts to do it to their face. Oh, yeah, it's cowardly. Any bullying, whether in face or online, is cowardly. The thing Mm -hmm. about cyberbullying now is it's 24-7. You get away from it. No, you can't. So what shows up in a person's life if they have been bullied? And those of us who have been bullied know that, you know, we still shy away from relationships and things like that. But what are the implications of that? What are some of the long-term implications? Well, I'm really glad you asked that because there is a lot. From a mental health standpoint, it is huge and it is a crisis for a lot of people that are carrying this. People can have PTSD. It is a traumatic experience. And so you carry that, the hypervigilance, the ruminating thoughts, the sense of always expecting the worst. That's one thing. Let me ask you a quick question, because for some people, they don't recognize what they've experienced and what they're still experiencing is actually a post-traumatic stress disorder. It's PTSD. It is. So define PTSD and what that looks like. For those of us who have survived it, and I'm almost 60, as I tell my age, (laughs) and I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of work around this. I didn't realize that I was actually suffering from PTSD. And it's like, how did I not know this until I would say probably four or five years ago? Talk to me a little bit about that. And how do people not recognize that what they're dealing with really is that, that, I mean, it really is a form of PTSD. Yeah, well, PTSD is as recognized for bullying as it is for other things, such as combat and such as rape. But anything that is overwhelms your system that you can't cope and you have to find other ways that are maladaptive can result in that. Well, anything where you feel helpless and demoralized Mm. can lead to these post-traumatic responses. So what does PTSD look like for, quote, normal people? I know that's kind of a broad question to ask. (laughs) How can it show up? I mean, how does somebody actually recognize that it's so significant? I love that you... I didn't recognize that it was so significant. That was that was the right. Deal. Right. Well, you don't because you don't want to acknowledge you have PTSD. That's another shame-based thing to have to own up to. It's so bad. But I love how you said normal people because there, <laughs> there's this whole line of thinking that out of all the mental disorders, post-traumatic stress is actually an adaptation to overwhelming life circumstances. It's not something inherent in you. So a lot of people are of the mindset to drop the word disorder after it and instead call it post-traumatic stress syndrome. I like that. Yes. Because it is a syndrome. It's not really a disorder disorder. Well, I mean, it is, but it isn't, but it is, but it isn't. Does that make sense? more shame. That's so hard. For victim of a bully, because not only were they targeted by the bully, but then if they end up with uh, post-traumatic behaviors, then they can also be shamed for that too. And so then it's like everything, all, all of how you're trying to get through life basically has to be shoved under some wet blanket of shame. And you're just kind of on your own fending for yourself. And it's a very painful, confusing place to be. Well, and especially if you were bullied in your formative years, specifically in your formative years or in your teenage years, like I was, you create these coping mechanisms. And I loved what you said, maladaptive mechanisms 
mm-hmm. to try to figure out just how to get through the day. And when you try to do that on your own as a child or as a young adult or a teen, it's almost impossible. To me, I think that was one of the most painful, isolating feelings of not knowing how to wrestle through. And I'm just, you know, I'm trying to even find the right words to describe what I experienced. It was so painful just trying to figure out how to get through the day some days when all I wanted to do was disappear. And I know that it led to my suicide attempt as a young adult because I was in so much pain. I didn't want to die. I just didn't know how to deal with what I was dealing with. Yeah, what you're saying, that is one of the main reasons why teens attempt suicide. It is. And there's such an epidemic right now. I mean, it's all over. It's not just in teens, although they have a predominant Yeah. It's huge in the teen population. Yeah. Adults still that are carrying that pain will still attempt suicide as well, or just feel that they've got this pervasive, you know, what's the point? Right. Wow. Sorry. I just, (laughs) there's so much information in here and there's so many things I want to ask. (laughs) It's just like, okay, now where where do I want to go with this? So how would somebody even know that they're still being traumatized, you know, because a lot of us feel like, I mean, and I did too. It was like, oh, I've dealt with that. Oh, I've dealt with that. And I had to some degree, but I really hadn't because especially when I started to come out publicly as, you know, a speaker and an author and a coach and, you know, helping people with their own traumas, I was terrified that in some way somebody would find out about me. And and, and it was like, well, what are they going to find out that, you know, you're a really cool person or, you know, what is it? But it was the terror For me, it was the terror of being maybe possibly called out and bullied again and not feeling like maybe I had those coping mechanisms. So, but how does that look for people? I mean, that was how it showed up for me. Well, you just described one of them is this fear of re-experiencing the dynamic It's essentially a flashback and it's that helpless feeling. You're going to get sucked back into it and have no resources for what to do with that. Yeah. That's that's one way. Mm -hmm. Another way is one of the symptoms is dissociation, not being able to mentally stay somewhere. So if there's a trigger that reminds you of being bullying and you find yourself, you just kind of blanked out for a bit and then came back. That's another thing to know about. Talk more about that if you would, because I know that I have done that in the past. I didn't realize that was what I was doing. What does that look like? Again, we're, we're talking about, you know, people who may or may not be really consciously aware of, of what's going on. Oh, by definition, it's hard to be consciously aware of dissociating. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I guess how I recognize it in myself was if I would get fear, like I share your fear about going out in public because I I have this awful thing of someone in the audience is going to heckle me and take me down and humiliate me. It's this moment of, okay, do I stay present and hold my fear or do I just kind of leave the scene and and freak out? Do people literally leave the scene? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, the dissociation is very common. I know that I have found myself having to circle back sometimes because I can feel, especially if I'm in a group, a big group, and if I get triggered, I can feel myself kind of just checking out. But it's like it's hard to pay attention. Well, it is because dissociation happens when your deeper inner mind, your unconscious mind, you know, gets overwhelmed. And so it immediately copes by checking out and yet your body is how you can stay in touch with yourself you know ask yourself okay what am I noticing now in my core is it twisting is it slightly uncomfortable let's just stay with that so what happens though if it's so uncomfortable that you just don't want to be present? How does somebody deal with that? Because if somebody is having a flashback, and I know for myself, early in my treatment, you know, when I was working with a counselor to kind of work through some of this stuff, I would find myself in situations where it was like, I have to go. I couldn't be in a crowd. I couldn't be, there were a lot of triggers for me. Right. So how does somebody work through that anxiety, that intensity? There's the word. That's the word I was looking for. The intensity of the emotion. How do you, how do you just go, it's going to be okay? How do, how do you do that? Yeah, it has to be done in several ways. I'll have to think of an example in order to really answer that question. So for example, when you're working with somebody 
in your office and somebody comes in and they're having a dissociative event with you, you have several tools. What are some of the tools that you actually use with clients? Because you have a ton of really cool tools in your toolbox. Yes. Okay. So if I see someone is starting to leave the scene, dissociate, I'll say, okay, hi, I'm here you know, come back, we're together here. And so the relationship is really important. That right there is different than what happened in the past. Because in the past, you were alone, you're isolated, you had no one in your corner. So I will say to the person, I'm right here, I'm in your corner. That was then, this is now. Just that reminder right there is huge. Then I'll have them feel their feet on the floor, ground, come present, connect with the earth. You're right here. You're okay. You're safe. Even hearing those words makes me feel like I can breathe again. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Yes. That was the next thing. Take a nice deep breath. Fill your abdomen. Breathe from your diaphragm. Release slowly. And then I'll guide them through several deep breaths. There's research and trauma coming out showing that when you exhale for longer than you inhale, that will activate the relaxation response, bring you back down into our parasympathetic nervous system, which takes you out of the fight or flight response. So can you take us through that little exercise right there? Just teaching somebody how to breathe so they can be present. Sure. We can call it four, seven, eight breathing, which means you inhale to a count of four, hold to a count of seven, exhale to a count of eight. And most people aren't used to exhaling for that long. So it'll take a a little bit to learn. But once you do, then you have it. It's there. Okay. Can you walk us through that? Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. So show us how. So I will go ahead and and count you through it. So inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale, one, two, three four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And notice how you feel in your body now. It's interesting because as we were going through that, I could feel my shoulders drop. I could feel my resistance to holding my breath, which I found was very interesting. It's like, no, you need to, you need to breathe deeper or you need, to, you need to breathe. And it's like, no, just let it, just let it, just let it. So I noticed that I was resistant even to a different breathing pattern. And what I do know is that when I find that resistance, I know that it's something that my body is actually asking me to do so that there's a pattern interrupt. Mm -hmm. And for me, it feels, I can feel my central nervous system, like I can breathe again. I Mm -hmm. feel, it's like my brain let go of something. Well, that was the whole point because this breathing plugs into your vagus nerve, which is the main nerve that goes down from your spinal cord and all the way out to your organs. And this also brings that relaxation response. And so you're essentially self-regulating when you do that. So the vagus nerve has a lot of functions. It ha- it regulates your breathing, it regulates your digestion, it regulates your heart rate, it regulates everything, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's the longest nerve. It's called the vagus nerve, not because it's, you know, like going to Vegas and winning something, although you can. <laughs> Peace and calm. <laughs> it's I love winning that calm game. <laughs> yep. But vagus means the wanderer. It's that wandering nerve that regulates so much of our physical body's reactions. Fabulous. Oh, I love that. So what are some of the other fun things that you do with people to help get them out of that ah, moment? After experiencing that, then I remind them that they are empowered just by doing that, that their bodies belong to themselves. And by regulating your breathing, by being able to calm yourself down, you have already taken a first step towards recovering from your past experiences when you weren't able to experience that. That's really powerful. So I just, I really validate or acknowledge any baby steps towards that. Well, and I think you said something really profound it just hit me. You said your body is your own. How did you say that exactly? Your body is your own. Your body belongs to you. Your body belongs to you. 
It's the same language for people who've been sexually abused. Exactly. Because when you have been bullied, and especially if you have been sexually bullied, like I was, I could be wrong. But to me, it it always feels like there's some sexual connotation to most bullying. Oh, yeah. Because it goes deep to that core of our beingness. And we are sexual beings. We are sexual beings. But there's something about bullying that is so tied into our identities as a human being and our bodies. And it's like we lose our ability to differentiate maybe between ourselves and our bully. Oh, I'm so glad. Wow. I'm glad you said that. I thought of that before and I was wanting to say this. Bullying itself is hard enough, but a lot of the long-term damage happens when you end up believing what the bully says about you and you just swallow it whole like a hypnotic suggestion that goes deep into your mind, you know, and so you're worthless. Nobody will love you. All of that. You're a loser. That's a real common one. Yeah. And that becomes like this deep-seated hypnotic suggestion that you end up acting out unconsciously later in your life. So it's a question of identity. Is that why so many, especially women who have been bullied, I mean, I know this is just an oversimplification by every stretch of this definition, but do you think that might be one reason why especially women tend to choose relationships if they've been bullied that are very disempowering to them as well? over and over again. There's so many layers to that. I know. Like I said, it was a super oversimplification, but, but, and. It's, it's, I mean, on one hand, or part of that is when you've been treated one way, it's hard to expect being treated any other way. You have to learn a new way of thinking about yourself, you know, believing in your own worth and how you deserve to be treated. Another is believing that other people will actually treat you that way. When all you've experienced or a lot of what you've experienced is meanness, it's actually hard to have faith in someone else actually being kind towards you. It's almost like you're all geared up towards them being mean. And so that's kind of your behavior. And an expectation too, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a huge expectation. And people will respond the way you expect them to. There's this whole, you know, saying that we train people how to treat us. I think that's kind of a victim blaming way to say it. I think of it as if you are broadcasting this energy of, I expect you to hurt me, it's going to activate something in the other person and kind of engage that. It's a very, how can I explain this? To me, from an energetic standpoint, and if yeah. I can just interject here, from an energetic standpoint, we're both receivers and broadcasters. Of right. Energy. And so if we have been bullied, if we have been victimized, we'll, we'll use that word, although I really dislike that word because it feels incredibly disempowering. But it is. But it's the truth. You know, when we have been victimized in some fashion, there's a frequency that is embedded, and I'm going to use that word specifically, that gets mm -hmm. embedded into our energy fields. So as we've been treated a certain way, we have these expectations. Those expectations are being broadcast out, and it's not that we're doing it consciously. It's not that it's like, oh, you know, come kick me again, because that's what I deserve. But there's an unconsciousness around the energy that we're sending out. It's implicit. Thank you. That's a perfect word. Mm -hmm. It is implicit. And it's been interesting as I have started dating, you know, I just left a relationship that was pretty unhealthy and I didn't realize how unhealthy it was. I, I was like, holy cow. And for both of us, I mean, none of us live in a vacuum. But what was interesting to me is as I've started dating, seeing how my expectations have been different. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting to see how this new person in my life has shown up in ways that it's like, oh, I've made a big shift here because I'm being treated differently and it feels foreign and I don't trust it. And it's so powerful. It's such a powerful thing to recognize that at some level you've made a shift and how weird it feels at the same time. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. It's like, well, what's wrong with me? I'm actually enjoying this. This, this feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually enjoying being treated well. How weird is that? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very open with my life and maybe more open than I should be. But I just, to me, it's fascinating to see the difference in relationships and to see how I'm different and what feels weird <laughs> when it should be normal. <laughs> 
but I was programmed early in my life to have unhealthy relationships based on my own bullying and based on, well, there were a lot of things, but that was, you know, that's a big one. So you're bringing up this point about coming into the present moment. And it's like waking up out of a very profound negative trance. And by trance, I mean, a a narrowed focus of attention. You know, the world is only so big and there's only this many possibilities. And by waking up, you are more open to infinite possibilities. What can you experience now? What does life have to offer? And who can I be? Mm-hmm. It feels good. It's It feels yeah. expansive to be able to come from that place. And it's taken a lot, a lot, a lot of personal work to get there. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about bullying. We've we've kind of been all over the place here, which is awesome. And what are some of the things that you do also when you work with people? We've talked about getting people to be aware, but you've got several tools in your tool bag. Let's talk about those for just a minute, because most people are not aware of some of the healing modalities or, you know, what's even available to kind of cut to the chase, cut through and really begin that healing process in such a profound way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I work with people both individually and in groups, mm-hmm. individually to help people work through what's happened to them and come back to their lives. And groups are amazingly powerful to work through the effects of bullying because I'm trained in psychodrama and psychodrama basically instead of talking about something you show it you reenact it you walk through it and you use scarves and other objects to represent things but it's also done in a group so in a psychodrama when you identify a scene that you want to work through there's different roles in the scene so somebody wants to work through bullying and you're the one who's been bullied then you identify the bullier bystander an adult who was either there for you or abandoned you, parents, and anything else. And in a group, you can actually choose people to play those roles. And so reenact that in a therapeutic, safe, contained way, Hmm. which is amazing. There's a principle here, which is that wounding happens in relationships. Therefore, healing happens in relationships. Oh, I love that. Say it again. Wounding happens in relationships. Therefore, healing happens in relationships. We are social creatures. Doing things individually is great, but bringing it out into the social context adds that whole new realm of healing and social repair. Oh my gosh. That's the magic of the work. I imagine that would be magical. So when somebody does a psychodrama session, to me, it sounds a little complicated maybe, but it sounds, I'm intrigued by it, really intrigued. Well, yeah, there's a lot to track. As the scene progresses, And the person would maybe revisit a moment of bullying, but rather than just going back to the past, I would have them have resources such as this time they'd have an ally with them. And somebody would represent that for them? Oh, yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, because in each of us, we kind of know that if we had had something with us back then that we needed, then the outcome would have been different. And we kind of know what that would be. It's like there's this alternate reality that's possible. There's psychodrama even has a name for it. It's called surplus reality, which I love. That is interesting. What does that mean? <laughs> surplus. It means we're not stuck with our past. Oh, I love that. We know how to create things to manifest what we know is possible. Go into that a little bit more because, okay, you just opened up a whole (laughs) new world for me, girlfriend. (laughs) We have never talked about this before. Let's talk a little bit more about this because this is, again, this is just, you you know how far down the rabbit hole I love going. So let's, yes. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So we sense that if we had had a friend with us or if we had been able to just be able to calmly walk away instead of getting reactive or triggered or whatever it was, then we would have come through that in a different way. And the very fact that we know the difference means that that exists in the brain already. Just the fact that we know it. So now we can reenact that. And if it exists in the brain, there's so many things that just went off in my head. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, and because the brain is really kind of this holographic camera that's creating our reality, if there are multiple possibilities and we're going back to retrieve what happened and repair it or, you know, replace it with something else, then fill in the blank for me. Then you get a new identity for yourself. Then you say, I am powerful. I am capable. I am liked. I am smart. I am worthwhile. It changes 
who you think you are and how far you can go in your life now. Oh, that is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. How did this come into being? Is psychodrama new? No, it's been around in the early 1910s, 1920s. It was created by someone named Jacob Levy Moreno. Yeah, same last name, but no relation. <laughs> I, sorry. I'm like, really? Is it? Okay. No wonder you were intrigued. <laughs> And he was a brilliant psychiatrist who worked with many different people. He first started out in Austria and traveled around Europe and then came to the U.S. in 1925, brought it here. And he worked with psychiatric people. He worked in refugee camps. He worked in prisons. He worked in schools. He was a pioneer, a leading thinker. Group therapy comes from him. Really? Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So somebody comes to you and they've got bullying. What are some of the outcomes that people can expect? I'll actually share my psychodrama that I did about it. And then I've directed this with other people. Okay. That was a life-changing psychodrama. That's when I said to myself, wow, I have to learn how to do this. When I reenacted my own moment of being bullied and filled in the roles with people in the room doing that, it was almost overwhelming because of how much shame I had. I mean, I was at the edge of my tolerance there for that to happen, but that was okay because the group witnessed it for what it was. I didn't have to explain it. They just saw it. Yeah. And I did too. And then the person who's directing me brought in resources to support me. So what type of resources were brought in for you, if you don't mind me asking? Animals. I always loved animals and I had black Labradors at the time. And so I could hold them and cry. And so they would be with me. They also brought in a place in me that was not touched by the cruelty. The place in me that still believed in human goodness. And wow. it was right out there on the stage. And all that was put into role. Plus, there was a real person next to me as an ally. So there was a real person standing with you, holding space, holding, mm -hmm. holding that consciousness for you as the ally to help re-pattern and reprogram. Would that be accurate? As the ally who would remind me of who I am and remind me that this is not okay. And then that would repattern, just knowing I'm not alone and that I did nothing to deserve this. Wow. I was basically had violence going on. And then another part of that was creating a climate where saying bullying is not okay. Sorry, you have to leave. This is not acceptable. And so you're literally telling the energy of bullying that it has to go. Yes. Oh, wow. Powerful. It cleared it out. So I saw with my own eyes the bullies receiving that message and leaving. Wow. So it really was repatterning and reprogramming in a completely holistic way. Yeah. Something that didn't originally exist, but through the power of this particular process, it shifts it and it changes it. It changes the experience. Yeah, it's just, an, and it is not this fantasy thing. It reaches this place deep inside that knows, ah, yes, this is the truth of how we can treat each other. Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. Oh my gosh, Cindy, we could go on and on and on. I've got... <laughs> I have so many questions. I, we may have to have another conversation about this because bullying is, I mean, right now, what are, what are some of the things nationally that we're seeing? And I, oh. I maybe open up a massive can of worms here. <laughs> Pardon me if I have, but it just feels like we have reached this impasse. I mean, it's just like, it's a free for all out there and it's somehow socially okay again, or maybe it, it always was, I'm not sure, to be horrible to one another. What is that? Yeah, I don't want to get political here. And we see it all around us. Yeah. People are acting like it's okay to grab power any way you can and to demean other people. And we just see it. And I don't think it is political. I, I mean, you can see it politically, but I don't, I think it transcends politics. I think it's cultural, don't you? Yeah, it's being condoned now. And so that's, for some people, it's giving them permission. For other people, it's just horrifying. The fact that this kind of behavior is escalating. Well, and it is escalating. That's what I'm seeing is how rapidly it's escalating. Okay, so which brings up another question then. Do you think it's escalating? I mean, obviously it's escalating because we're being given permission. But I have a belief, and I'd be happy to hear your viewpoint on this as well. But I believe that 
a lot of these social things, I'm not even sure what the right word is, these social injustices are coming up because we cannot evolve as a human species until we have actually worked through the damage that we're doing to one another. And I think we're seeing it so much more clearly because it is so inappropriate and we can no longer deny, we can no longer hide, we can no longer condone in any way, shape or form that this is okay. Right. How do you feel about that? I know that that seems maybe a little simplistic. No, it's actually a complicated question. I think a lot of people approaching that in different ways. One of the main things is how do we have a conversation with each other where we can speak to feelings that are very strong about that, charged feelings? How do we hold space for that? Well, because we become so polarized in our speech. Now we're just demonizing everybody. Right. And so that's one thing if you have talk about an issue. But for even two people that are sharing the heartbreak and the sense of mission of, of having to do something, you know, to create a way where we treat each other better. How do we even have a conversation about that? How do we? One of the main things is that people feel that their voice needs to be heard. Yes. And in a group, there tends to be a few people whose voices are heard more than others. And this isn't bad. It's not good. It's just a general group dynamic. When that can be intervened with early and everybody's given equal space, that gets to what we are really needed, which is to connect and to belong and to really share who we are and share who the other person is. And it does take skills to hold a group like that. But when that doesn't happen and when things go in the ditch, then we're seeing all the dynamics that we're seeing around us. Um, and so it comes back to starting with two people, three people, four people in small groups and experiencing doing that for each other. And then we are more equipped to bring that out in the world. It does start small and go outward. You know, that to me, that sounds like such a profound way way to heal and such a holistic way to heal. You know, when we come together and we have this new dialogue, this new conversation, it just seems to be a lot more empowering. Yeah, it really is. Everybody's got a story and every story needs to be told. That's one thing I do in my psychodrama groups is give every person an opportunity to show their story, reenact that, come out the other side. Wow, that's powerful. And you're right. People need to know that they have a voice, that they are actually heard, and that they are being acknowledged for what they've gone through. That's one of the main things. You know, even people who want to help other people by cheering them up or whatever, that doesn't work. What we need is acknowledgement. There's something that's really important about that. We actually are well-equipped within ourselves to work through whatever befalls us in life as long as it's not too overwhelming. What do you mean by that? Let's say something happens. Let's say you're at work and your boss, you know, makes you feel bad in some way mm -hmm. or whatever. If you have someone to tell your story to, yeah. to share that with, then once you get that off the chest, then there's something opens up inside and it's like, oh, okay, I know who I am. I know how I'm feeling. I can find a way to work through this. Is it like a form of validation? Just, just somebody to witness what we've been through? Yeah, thank you. Witness, validation, and acknowledgement. And then that opens us up. Whereas when someone sh shuts you down or tells their own story or tries to cheer you up or something, that actually blocks you from connecting with your own resources. Really? I did not realize that. In what way? I'm really curious about that because I can't tell you the numbers of people who are like, I just, you know, I just want to make somebody smile. And I agree with that to a certain degree. And I also know that it's a form of a Band-Aid maybe. Is, is that the right word? It can be a Band-Aid. It can be an emotional disconnect. And what I'm talking about is empathy. Okay. It's what Brené Brown talks about. I love her work. Yeah, me too. And empathy is the ability to just sit with someone in whatever their experience, to sit with them in the dark. And that doesn't mean wallowing. It's just when the, your someone's with you, oh my gosh, then you might be surprised at how short the darkness lasts at that point. But you have to go there. Do you think we're really uncomfortable in this society just dealing with somebody's pain? Absolutely. How can we become more compassionate, more vulnerable, do you think? And, and I say more vulnerable, and I just, I heard people go, I'm not doing that. You can't make me more vulnerable. <laughs> not going there with you, Missy. But by vulnerability, I mean the ability to just hold space for somebody and allow them their discomfort without having to fix it. 
because that feels incredibly vulnerable. Because I think as most humans, we don't like seeing another human being in pain. I just, I don't think that we do. Well, absolutely. And yet this is actually an illusion that taking someone out of pain is actually going to work. All it does is shut them down and then they're just deeper in pain inside themselves. And that's the thing to bear in mind. And so the fearfulness, the vulnerability of seeing someone else in pain stems from your own ability to not really be able to do anything about it. You have to kind of presence your own desire to to control, if you will not in a bad way. It's just a natural human thing that people want to do and just let it be. I found sometimes you really have to learn some language to kind of help do it. Something like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that that's just awful. You know, I don't know what to say, but I'm just, I want to be here for you. I think that's one of the most powerful things is acknowledging that we're uncomfortable with them, for them, as them, and yet we don't have the answers. And sometimes there just aren't answers. In that moment, there are not answers. Sometimes we just have to work and be willing to sit with that pain because it's part of the process of learning and growing and experiencing what it's like to be in physical body. Yep, there it is. It's unavoidable. It's part of being human. It's part of what makes us whole. What I find fascinating, though, is especially in this industry, this self-help industry, how uncomfortable most people are in allowing others their painful process. Yeah. To me, and tell me if I'm wrong, there's so much power in being able to sit and just acknowledge, man, I hurt. I feel betrayed. I am so lonely. Emotionally, I feel annihilated here. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And it's like, well, you know, there may not be an answer right this minute. Right. Okay, but I'm bleeding here. from, you know, and I think in our society, especially in this Western society, we don't value that pain. We don't value being able to honestly acknowledge the pain. You take a pill, you get out of it, you take an antidepressant, you call it good. And yet it's that pain that deepens us, that allows us to become more compassionate, that allows us to become more than what we were before. Exactly. You're talking about sacred wounds that open us up to what's deeper. Many of us, and I know that's for you and for me, we would not be the healers we are if we hadn't experienced what we did, that actually we discover more depths of us and we can bring out this place of bringing medicine. That's well said. Yeah, that's really well said, that medicine of the pain. I just remember, you know, looking back over my last year of experience going through my divorce and everything. And there were times that I thought, I don't know if I'm going to live through this. I was in such profound agony in that loss and having been betrayed. And I just, I didn't know what to do with it except sit with it and allow my physical body to really just be. And people would say, you're going to come out of this the other side so much stronger. And all I could think was, F you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Shut the F up. (laughs) You know, sorry, I have a potty mouth. I, I, (laughs) it's just who I am. So, well, you know what they say, when when the potty comes out, that's when it gets real. (laughs) Oh, it was, yeah. (laughs) And I would just say, "Mm," you know, (laughs) but it was just like, I I honestly don't know if I'm going to live through this. It was so annihilating. It felt like I was alone and I was alone in my pain. There wasn't anything that anybody could do to alleviate that. I had to work through it. That being said, also, unfortunately, I didn't have you around to do some psychodrama with me because I think that would have been incredibly powerful to have that option. What you're talking about is transformative pain and also about being the wounded healer. Can you talk a little bit more about transformative pain? Because I think most people are not familiar with what that actually is. Well, it's pain that takes you beyond the limits of what you believed or imagined. And it's something that takes you there. You have no choice. You do have the choice if you want to push it away or block it or do other things. And yet it only means you're only going to end up growing into part of who you can be. The pain is really a vehicle to take you to the depths of who you are. And it is sacred. It is spiritual as well as out in the world itself. Important thing to keep in mind here is that everything changes. This too shall pass. And so emotions are emotions. 
So anything that you sit with will move. That's how our bodies are designed. So really, it's being with the fear of doing that and recognizing that as such and say, okay, this is only that. And there's another place in me that can trust the process. I think that was the biggest fear was trusting the process and questioning whether I was actually going to be sane by the time it was over. Yeah. And I'm not sure I am, but that's okay. (laughs) I laugh now. (laughs) So it's the hero's journey that people talk about. And the thing to know about the hero's journey is that the person returns back into the world, this time with gifts, and this time to bring them out into the world. Yeah. And there's a lot of us that are on this hero's journey, whether or not we realize we consciously, you know, signed up for it or not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure if I'd known what this was all about, I would have said, oh, hell no, we're not doing this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know why anybody would consciously show up to this, but, but. That being said, I do know that my own journey completely changed my own work and it deepened all of my abilities. At this point, I'm very grateful for the way that things happened. And I realize that they had to happen the way that they did because I would never have left that relationship otherwise. And I would have cheated myself out of something so profound. Mm -hmm. Yep. Apparently, you know, from that 35,000 foot view of the soul, soul's going, really? Really? How long are you going to put up with this? How long are we going to do this, Michelle? Knock it off. Okay, she's not paying attention. It's time to smack the crap out of her. Yeah, the the old two by four. It was the two by four and a half. Holy cow. And I'm grateful for it. I can honestly say, and, and those people that I wanted to tell to F off, they were right. So how do people get a hold of you? We're coming to the end of our time here. You've got a, a free gift for people and you tell people how they can get a hold of you. My website is um, cindylevy.com. C-I-N-D-Y-L-E-V-Y.com. And tell us about your free gift. It is something called, two pages called Recovering from Bullying, 16 Steps to Get Through That. It's just first acknowledge, you tell your story of what happened. Mm -hmm. Just tell the truth. Learn about bullying tactics so you can recognize it in action. This speaks, again, to dissociation because when you're not present, you don't recognize what's happening. So naming that, it's an empowering thing. So if people start doing things like excluding or gossiping or, or even physical things, you just recognize that. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Cindy. And you've got a program coming up after the first of the year, right? That's going to be working around this whole, can you tell people a little bit about this program coming up so that they can learn more about it? Yeah, it'll be a 10-week program of if you've been bullied to work through the effects of that. I'll be limiting the number of people in order so that each of you can get personalized attention and you have the opportunity to tell your story. And also, I want this to be if you have personally experienced bullying and feel that you are still carrying that. So it can be in the past, if that's happened to you, or if you're still dealing with it now, either at work or something, or if you have a child that's being bullied, and or if you are just being affected by the climate around us. That's a big deal right now. Yeah. Because the climate is re-traumatizing those old wounds. I really believe that. Yeah. It's making so many of us feel incredibly unsafe. I laugh now, remembering it at election time, having a conversation with the man that I'm in relationship with and saying, you know, he's explaining one thing and being so triggered. And it's like, I have to go. This, this is a deal breaker. <laughs> he's like, wait, 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 uh, wait. Uh. And it was funny because it wasn't anything that he had done, but I realized, and I, I kind of worked through it. I absolutely had to work through it. And called him back and I said, I really think we need to talk about this. And he said, can we? I I think so. (laughs) But it was interesting how that wound showed up and how significant it was and what my brain had fused together and the meanings that I had extrapolated from certain events. So, and I know that's pretty vague, but it was fascinating to me how our wounds just get triggered. And then it's like, oh, and you'll shove something away or someone away inadvertently because it's like, oh, and it really was that dissociative moment where it was like, I have to go now. And I knew that I had to process for a minute before I said something that would have been really destructive because I I was in destruction mode. It's amazing. You're just speaking about how charged it is, just the conversation. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. It was supercharged. It was supercharged. And you know, we laugh about it now, but it, it was like, this is a deal breaker. Mm-mm, I'm not doing this with you. It was like, I got to go now. And there was this, okay. <laughs> okay. Time to go. Yeah. It yeah. was fascinating. Yeah. That's another thing on my list is to be aware of your triggers and vulnerabilities. That's huge. And recognizing the signals, tuning into yourself. Yeah. And recognizing when your body's going, mm. Houston, we may have a problem here. (laughs) Yeah. This is a whole thing about when you have a conversation too, if you had the surface is the disagreement, you know, finding something underneath that. Wait, was this a person in the past or now? Well, this is a current person. Okay. So dropping beneath that and getting to what you have in common. Ooh, yeah. Is helpful here. It was very helpful. And I really had to look at that. You know, what do we have in common? You know, my very wise daughter, (laughs) who apparently is now raising her mother. um, (laughs) She says, mom, Let's take a step back here for just a minute. I was like, I just found the fatal flaw. And she's like, let's, let's just take a step back here for just a second. <laughs> so yeah, I, and I just, I had to laugh. It's like, okay. But it showed me so powerfully how those old wounds really get re-triggered so simply. And even if they have been put to bed. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, just one sentence, one word, one thought form can unleash, (laughs) unleash all this stuff. And it was just, it was, it was interesting to me. It was, it was this huge awareness of, wow, okay, I get it. I really get it. And what do people do if they don't have tools? That was the other thing. It was like, holy cow, you know, at least there's this awareness. Yeah, at least you're aware. Well, it made me aware of how things, how people get so out of control and so triggered and so angry because they don't have tools. And that's really the point of this show is teaching people that there are other ways to heal. If you're being triggered, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're broken and it's not because there's, you know, it's not irredeemable. The thing is we all have these wounds. It's how we choose to deal with them. And it's an opportunity to take ourselves to a much deeper, more profound, more fulfilled level if we will allow ourselves to go there. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm off my soapbox mm. now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy, for being here. I just, this has been such a great conversation. Would you be willing to come back and talk to us a little bit more? Because this is a huge subject that is, I mean, we've barely, barely, barely scratched the surface. Oh no, on. absolutely. I feel it's, it's one of my missions is to bring this conversation out into public. I agree. Along with the, the social piece of healing, along with the individual healing. So yes, thank you. You're welcome. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. It's so needed right now. And as we can come together and as we begin to heal our own wounds, I really believe that that's where world peace really starts is from within. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for being here. One more time, how can I get a hold of you? At cindylevy.com, C-I-N-D-Y-L-E-V-Y.com. Perfect. Thank you everyone for being here, for listening in. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and catch us next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If this episode has touched your heart, please rate and review it and then share it with all your loved ones. Reach out to Michelle and share your thoughts, feelings, and experiences at michelle at epichealingtransformations.com.